The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. On today's episode, I have Phil Nardoni, who is the CEO of Pan Communications. And Phil and I are going to talk specifically about, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and how that's impacting agencies and, you know, Phil brings the perspective that's, um, you know, Phil runs a, a, a midsize agency and um, specifically in the tech sector. So he'll bring those two perspectives. And then also Phil has a, a pretty active role in, in the PR council. Um, so he'll also kind of bring um, kind of the perspective on kind of the conversations they've been having there. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, my third perspective that I might be able to bring is, as you know, Arthi, I'm an adjunct professor at the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. So when we talk about our industry, um, and it is so uh, predominantly white, we need to start at that level to include more people of color into this major. But we can get to that, but that's another perspective, buddy. Yeah, so, um, and, and that's, that's a, another good one. Uh, sorry to miss that. Um, Phil, why don't you tell me a little bit about what the last few weeks have been like at PAN? Sure. And how did things start to bubble up there? And, and when did yeah. you, the CEO step back and say, look, we, this, is, this is really big and we need to take some yes. action? So I would say just um, a couple of days after um, the murder of George Floyd, we were wrestling with what as an agency we need to do to support Black Lives Matter. And I had put on the docket, um, I would say at the end of May, a town hall meeting for June 3rd. And I let everyone know that that staff meeting was not going to be a typical pan staff meeting, but a time for us to pause, talk in a safe zone about what was going on in the world what was going on with um, the protests that were happening left and right. My husband and I had uh, gone to one of the peaceful protests in Boston. So we witnessed firsthand the eruption as day turned to night to um, the, the impact these were having in communities. And I knew my employee base, as many of the um, employees that work for PR agencies or integrated marketing firms, in PR worldwide, we're all jumping into this, this discussion and this uh, pandemic, if you will. So we put um, on the docket that staff meeting, but what I did on Monday without even talking to Team HR about it, I reached out to each of the individuals at PAN that are uh, people of color to find out and hear from them, first, how they were feeling, two, to let them know this was an uncomfortable topic for me, but one that I was willing to embrace and to talk about. But I wanted to listen and hear what they were expecting, what they would want from their employer. And I talked with them about some of the initiatives that I was starting to think about, which I, which I will talk with you about in a minute. But I can't underestimate or the, the impact that the that, that those conversations had um, on that Monday. I, I remember it vividly, Arthea, just speaking to these women, and they were all black women uh, that work at PAN, and the feeling that they had that they were talking to their CEO, and I was listening to them 
And it, it taught me that as a leadership team, we need to listen to those that are living it and experiencing this way in a, in a way that none of us ever expected or ever could. Go yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think that's been an important distinction this time around. I think the, the conversations haven't been about people of color. It's been about the black community specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, pe all people of color have various, you know, challenges in, in, in this culture, but, you know, specifically around what we're seeing, these videos, I mean, they've really been, um, I mean, it's been, it's been members of the black community that are being, you know, Right. on the streets right and i think right. that's an important distinction for for people to make this time and, and we've seen that even and, and i'm curious to hear your thoughts i feel like you know like for instance on the back of the charlottesville riots it was very much the, the statements from brands the statements from ceos were much bigger about diversity yeah. and inclusion across across all this countries. is not this, yeah, is, this is very much about black is, lives matter this is very much and, and everything that we've done since then so we've um, supported a dollar-for-dollar dollar match in three um, black charities that our employees can pick from. So, and I think they've been, um, we're already seeing the response to that. We've interviewed four different experts in diversity and inclusion that we want to hire to help us put together a blueprint, a roadmap, a strategy on short-term what we should be doing between now and the next three months, and then longer term, 12 months out, what should PAN be doing to embrace more diversity and inclusion? We put together a wonderful resource guide on anti-racism. It's a whole resource center. It's got a million different things in there. One very poignant section of it lists all the individuals that have been killed um, black individuals at the hands of white either police or just um, in people out there. We've given every employee at PAN a day off between now and when their state um, has a deadline for registration to vote. And we've asked these people, Arthi, to go and register because change is what we need. And, and I don't want to get political, but that is clearly the direction that Pan is saying, have a voice and go vote. We're saying if you've already registered to vote, then use that time to learn more about the Black Lives Matters movement and um, talk to people and, and embrace that. And then two other things, um, I do a daily email every day, which I know you and Paul are well aware of. I send, I send it to my staff on this side of the pond and abroad. And I, when I started this in, on March 12th, I had no idea that I'd be writing 14 weeks later an email every day. But like the post that you and I were directed to this morning by an employee that I had no idea was going to post what PAN's, what PAN as an, as an employer has done, he mentions those daily emails. He mentions poignant photographs or poems that I refer to. And listen, I am who I am as a, a, a gay white CEO. I am not a person of color. I am certainly not black, but I am feeling everything that they're going through and I'm sharing that with my staff. And then the last thing as it relates to what we've put together at PAN is an issue response team where this IRT task force is responding to clients' needs. So what clients should be doing for Juneteenth? 
what clients should be doing about DNI and how they should be talking about it. So whether this task force works on your account or not, they've come in and out of 90 accounts when the need is in the past three weeks to talk about any of those issues. Uh, and lastly, we're, we're doing a ton of recruitment now that's looking, because we're one of those agencies. Yes, we're off of our 2020 projections like so many agencies, but we're doing okay. And we're, we, we realize we need to have uh, more people of color, more black individuals at hand. So let's let's talk a little bit about that last point. And you know, I'm pretty steeped in, in tech PR and tech PR agencies, and, yeah. and they're, they're, the, the diversity crisis obviously is industry wide. I think we're like 89% white. I think I wrote a piece a few years ago. I think I called it astonishingly white. Yeah. Um, but but it and, and tell me if, if if I'm off base here. But it seems to be even more acute in tech PR. And part of it is I think tech PR, many tech PR agencies are, are on the smaller side. They're either, you know, there are boutiques or small or mid-sized agencies. Yeah. Um, what's your assessment of sort of diversity? Yeah, I can tell you, I mean, I, I have many, obviously sitting on the PR council, I represent tier two, those agencies that are 20 million to 60 million. And I, have such admiration for these holding companies that are able to hire a diversity and inclusion officer. And they've been doing it for a while. I mean, we created our DNI task force at PAN a year ago, and we've certainly done some good things um, just to open up the discussion and, and look for ways to hire people at the intern level that are people of color. But what they're doing is, you know, they have the resources, Arthi, that we don't have in, in these smaller tech PR firms. That's number one. Number two, I think we also, we would love to hire more men and women that are black, but we have not done a great job in the tech PR world, midsize and smaller agencies, finding them, attracting them, if they come, they typically have left and gone to um, a larger agency. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right when you pause and think about our, our world. I don't know if it's just tech PR. It could be another sector, but those boutique and mid-sized firms, they, it's been hard for us so to broaden. Let, let's, let's talk a little bit about sort of ret retention and promotion, right? Because this isn't, to your point about, this isn't just about recruitment, right? This is about retaining people yeah. for black employees and actually promoting them so that they, you know, you, yep. what is the, the thing, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it, right? And yeah. so we do need more, especially we need more black professionals at the leadership level. What, you know, I know it's, it sounds like you know, you've had this task force in place for about a year. Have there been any reflection around what yeah. not only PAN, but maybe even industry-wide can be done to make retention and promotion so one of the, listen, as I've mentioned, I, I, I don't have all the answers and I listened um, to what my, what the, the, the black women shared with me in two conversations so far during this, during this time. And one of the comments that an account executive in New York City said to me, I came to PAN as an intern, I grew, I've grown um, and I'm, I'm happy at PAN, but I would feel so much happier if I could aspire to and see someone who looked like me at the leadership level. I have to tell you, Arthi, it 
I got a chill just now repeating that because the impact of that had a, a huge um, effect on me. I mean, I, I took it immediately to Team HR and said, if and when we have VP openings, we need to do everything we can. If it means work extra hard, then we have to, to, to at least see candidates that are black. Because these individuals, when you talk about retention, we may get them, we're fortunate to get them, aren't we? Both black and brown, but in the case of the three black people at PAN, I wanna keep them. Mm -hmm. And if, if they see a woman or even a man that's in the VP ranks, it's another reason why they hang on. Right. No, I mean, you know, I, yeah. I, I will just share with you that I've been on the search committee for a dean, for a chair of the PR department at Syracuse, the Newhouse School. The dean said to us, the search committee, you will not be complete until you bring me a robust candidate pool that includes people of color. Mm -hmm. and, and let me tell you, the, the role is still open. I talked with Rochelle Ford um, last Monday as I was preparing for my task force. She's a, a, a black woman, as you know, yep. heads the Elon School um, of Communications. And she said, it's like finding a needle in a haystack, Phil. But if people like you don't ask your HR teams to work harder, like the, like the dean asked us to work harder to find her replacement at Newhouse, then we won't be as diverse as we should be. Yeah, I mean, we, we put out recommendations, Provoke, um, last week, and one of our recommendations was every, especially for leadership positions, really 50% of the applicants have to come from underrepresented communities. Um, otherwise, we, we're not going to see change. I think for a while there, people were saying the, the Rooney Bravo. rule, but, right, but we actually, in our conversations with folks, it actually, it, it doesn't work. Um, yeah. You actually need to, you need to raise the bar. It needs to be 50%. Um, in the applicant pool. Otherwise, you know, you find, you know, people, it, it becomes tokenized. Um, and to your point about leadership, um, even that, I mean, we're, we're, our conversations with people is, you know, one is a starting point. You know, if you don't have any people of color um, in your leadership, you need to start with one, but then you need to aim for more than one because having Absolutely. one, you know, it, it, it's tokenism, it's isolating. Um, you know, we, I think but we it's a place to start. Right. It is a place. And, to and start. I will, and I'm very proud of what the PR Council has been trying to do recently. They've sent a letter to all of their members asking them to share data on um, their, their diversity mm -hmm. um, and then make every effort to hire a person of color. Mm -hmm. And they put together, much like you've seen, that 12 pledge. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it, yeah. It's terrific, and I love that Kim Sample stands strongly about the fact that we need to talk about this, and we need to take a leadership position and get out there and do more to embrace um, the black community into our industry. Right, and I, and I think even that, that 12 point pledge was based on um, the letter, I think the call to action that I think some um, black ad executives um, put together, right? It started there, yes. Yeah. So, in that point, you know, I've had a few conversations with DNI officers, and one thing that's come up is this idea of whiteness and how, given that agencies are so overwhelmingly white, that there needs to be a conversation as part of your racial equity training and part of as part of your implicit bias training around what does it mean to be anti-racist as um, and you know and to be a tangible ally. 
what does white privilege mean and what does white fragility mean? Do you feel like the conversations are shifting to actually, you know, include how white people can think about race and how they should, uh, you know, approach people of color within their organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're, um, I think it's listening to that and acknowledging it that is where it starts. I don't know how you felt, but when I read the PAN employees post this morning and he began with in an overwhelmingly white Mm -hmm. PR industry. Yeah. Like it was jarring. It's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. And when you say it's 89%, um, I teach one, one of the classes that I teach is about like life in a PR agency. And I talk about statistics within the industry and we talk about that, but it's, it's deeply moving when someone acknowledges that and and we then have to step up and do something about it. Yeah. Yes, we can acknowledge it. We can, we can feel the way we feel, but it's putting into action. And my hope is that as more and more mid-sized tech PR firms start to hire um, some, an expert, a consultant in DNI, that we follow through with that. And we, we look for ways to say, no, this search is not complete because you did not bring me a person of color for me right. to consider. Right. Um, so I think we just have to, it starts there and it starts with understanding some of, you know, some of what you're saying, racism in general. Right. Right. You know, yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a burden that people of color should have to carry within an organization to educate and to constantly be the ones to call it out, right? It's like, especially when you are, when you might be the only person of color in the room, um, that's a lot to ask of somebody, right? So if, if we yeah. need white folks to step up more, right? Um, well, that, you know, to that point, I, um, in some of, some of the daily emails that I, I sent out, I, list, I either do a link to a video or a photo. And I've gone to the three black women that work at Pan and said, what do you think of this image? And at one point they said, here's a better one, Phil. Hmm. So I, I, I understand what you're saying about the burden, but I think for them it's been, I'm working with my CEO to make him smarter and to support my agency. Now, if Pan is successful in hiring a VP and that VP is a, is, is a black man or woman, they will hopefully support what we're doing with our diversity and inclusion task force. So there's your point that why should they be burdened or, you know, they're, they're, they have a love of PR, but yet part of what you're wanting from them, Phil, is to embrace this topic, this uncomfortable topic and, yeah. and help get you better performing. But you're right. Right. It, it, it should be shared, right? I mean, I think that's yes, the idea, perfect. that it, it should be shared across, across folks from our conversations with people. You know, and that, and that leads me to, to another question about um, sustainability. Um, how do we make this moment a movement, um, a sustainable, yeah. actionable movement? You know, I mean, this isn't the first time we've had conversations about DNI and this. Yeah, it's different. Been, yeah, this, this, one does, this one does seem different. But, you know, as the news cycle moves on, you know, how do we keep yeah. this front and center and kind of yeah. part of the business? I think, I think for Pan, I can, I can share with you that we are, for the first couple of weeks, it was about listening and talking, and now we're going to be moving into the action path. So did we hire this consultant, and what are we learning, what are we doing? Um, 
do, do we have an opening at a leadership level or can we create an opening at a leadership level and are we filling that with a black person? Thirdly, are, are, do we embrace a pro bono organization that instead of it just being any um, nonprofit, but that this one impacts and affects the black community and can we do something there? So I think it's about a call to action, Arthi, and doing something. And all of my, I just got off of a Zoom call this morning. Once a month, I stop and meet with SVPs, VPs, so our leadership team. And we all felt that we, we need to make sure that we are taking action. So I would say to any agency or PR department out there, we have to move now into taking action in order to sustain the conversation. I'm going to continue writing a daily email until we get back into PAN. So our offices right now are slated to open September 8th, um, the Tuesday after Labor Day. So I am continuing with a daily outreach to my team, and I will continue to explore those topics that are uncomfortable and do my part. But I know that my staff is going to hold my feet to the fire to make sure that we are taking some action. Yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, I would have, when you said September 8th, I would have said, oh, wow, well, let's talk about this. And, and, I, and I look at you, right? And, and now it's like, okay. But, but, you know, but I mean, but that is an important point is that coronavirus has not gone away. And, nope. um, and, as, and, you know, I think now it seems like the news cycle is sort of like moving a little bit back towards coronavirus, or at least I'm seeing. Um, so yeah. so let, let, I just want to take a moment to talk about that September 8th date. Is that for everybody is that for people yeah. who want to and how likely do you think that is yeah i it's for anyone that wants to and we continually see a groundswell of employees that are anxious to get back to a shared office environment uh, i'm not sure that our office in new york city that you've seen at the empire state building will actually be ready september 8th um, maybe our office at 100 california in san francisco um, will take a little bit longer I think Boston, Orlando, London, I think they're, they're going to open and it'll look differently, right? Yeah. Um, but if an employee does not feel comfortable mm -hmm. um, coming back to the office, we're not going to push them. But there are two things that you made me think of. One, when Pan comes back, Darlene Doyle, who you know, our EVP of Client Relations, is spearheading a Pan post-COVID task force. What does it look like? What do we, how do we position ourselves? Both what do the employees look like? What does the recruitment look like? What does the client look like? All of that, because the world will be different, Arthi, post-COVID. And, and, and it's not post-COVID. We're still, we're yeah. still COVID, right? Actually, and in September, we're yeah. still going to be, right. uh, you know, until we can get a vaccine. And, and Fauci says that that might be, what, January, maybe December, if we're lucky. Right. But the second thing that you that you made me think of is what will tech PR firms do? That's the world I live in, tech and healthcare PR. What will they do when, employee, when an employee says to them, listen, I can no longer, I, I, I can't represent this client because they have not taken a stance on Black Lives Matter, or I feel like they have bigotry and racism within their ranks, or things like that yep. that's going to be part of what we will have to deal with and we're starting to talk about that at pan 
uh, because an employee, listen, I'm not going to ask every one of my clients to, uh, to come out and make a stance on something, but I won't tolerate if they are being racist. Right. Well, so, so that, that was the other question I wanted to ask about is, is clients, you know, we are, you know, agencies are in the business of client service. And as I've been talking to black employees in the industry, many of the microaggressions that they point that they pointed out are initiated by the client, right? It's in a, it's in a situation where it's really difficult for the CEO of the agency or whoever the, you know, the account lead is in the room to say anything because it's the client um, that's coming from the client. And this is something that the industry has to deal with. So I'm curious, you know, as you all are having these conversations, um, what is the plan to, to deal with, you know, microaggressions when they come from clients? Sometimes they're not even so micro, some of the ones that, that, that yeah. have been shared with me. Well, the good thing, like I mentioned, that we, we put together this issues response task force to go in to work on that mini crisis, if you will, and advise our clients. So what we're saying is we're using that task force, that team to go in and out of client engagements and talk about what's worked at client X. So, you know, typically in an agency environment, they may work on five accounts. If, if none of those five accounts have had a DNI issue or are trying to get behind Juneteenth or a, a day to vote or anything like that, then they don't know how to deal with it. So some expertise forming through this, this task force has been very valuable for us to share success that's come out of it with some of our clients. Right. So, you know, I mean, I think you, you nailed it earlier when you said these are uncomfortable. And I think that one of the things when I spoke to HP's um, chief diversity officer, she said, you know, we, we just all need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. And um, and so I'm curious if there's, a, you know, as we as we kind of close out and obviously fill in, this is a conversation that we'll continue to have because um, it sounds like you're just at the beginning, really, of, of kind of figuring out what the next steps will be. Um, any other advice you have for other agencies, especially ones that are small, even boutiques, you know, that have limited investments to make on, you know, a DNI officer. Um, yeah. What other advice I, would you give to them? So my, my one advice, if they don't have um, a, a black employee within their ranks, they should go to their own personal network and talk to that employee and do it in a way that they're listening to that employee. You know, it's interesting, Arthur, before my call with each of the individuals at PAN, all over the news was how um, our president, Donald Trump, reached out to the family of George Floyd, and he spoke for five minutes without asking a single question or without listening to what George Floyd's brother had to say about the murder of his brother. So I took that to heart, and my advice would be listen to your friends, to your network that are black on how they're dealing with this, how they're feeling. Um, one of the employees that I talked with said that to this day, 2020, Arthi, when a cop car is behind her, she is inclined to pull over and let that person go and just afraid. And we don't know that, right? So listen to that. Yes, that woman from HP that you talked with, it's an uncomfortable topic that we have to get comfortable with and we have to all get together to try and make change happen. Yeah. 
I think I think the networks point is a, is a good one in our in our list that provoked that we put out, um, you know, or on you know ten steps that agencies can take. I love um, that. Yeah, and I'm sorry, it was perfect. Yeah, it, 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 that came from a lot of feedback from the industry. I mean, we went out and asked, you know, um, folks who know, you know, um, what what they should follow. Agencies should look at that that ten step guideline. Mm -hmm. Like, but one of the things that came up in that was networks and how agency leaders need to expand their networks. I mean, if their network is their brother's friend, their neighbor's kid, give them an internship, yeah. let's go to the, you know, whatever, the country club. I mean, how, how can, what would be your advice on how to expand one's networks if they look around in 90, I think there's even a stat, like for white people, I think like 94 or 92% of their, of their friends are, are also white. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, so I wouldn't use the word friends, but I would say my network is made up of way beyond my circle of friends. I mean, I look at the professors that I, I teach with at Syracuse or the professors that I've interacted with that I had a wonderful conversation a week ago, Monday, with a professor from Howard University who has, and I got the name from Rochelle Ford. She has taught there for 35 years. And she is now in my network um, and uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. And I can I call her a friend? No, but she sat and talked with me about or on the phone about this topic that you and I are speaking to. So my advice is you don't just go to your network of friends. Look at beyond and ask people who else you can reach out to. Who else you, can you talk to and come across willing to listen i love that because i mean clearly the industry has has struggled with this for a really long time and so it is time to start listening and and, and yeah. clearly people don't have the answers so they need to start asking asking others for help um and arthur you and i had a similar conversation in february we sat in that office and before we know it two hours flew by because we know everyone and anyone in this industry that's at the c level and they are amazing people who care very much about their employee base and about their clients, but they are not people of color. Okay. We are not. So we need to just listen um, and, and talk to others that can advise us. Right. And I think, I think creating an inclusive culture, some of the things that in my conversations with people are, it's really subtle, right? It's just, you know, someone mentioned one, you know, like are, how much emphasis are you putting on, you know, ski week, right? I mean, you know, skiing was just traditionally a very white sport. Um, agencies that are built entirely around, you know, everybody taking off for ski week, which um, I mean, growing up in Texas, I didn't even know that was a thing, to be honest. Yes, I didn't either. But. <laughs> the East Coast. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, you know, there's these little really subtle ways that, that send a signal to someone that they don't get along, this isn't the right culture for them, um, that I think agencies hopefully will be quite reflective about. Yeah, I think that, that's good. It's about reflecting. And as we said, listening and then and taking doing something and then taking more action. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's to the point about, you know, like, Bill, again, I, I want to keep this conversation going. And as you both figure out what, what PAN will do, some concrete steps, and it sounds like, you know, you all have kind of formulated those, but as they start to take action on them, and even from the council, right? Um, you know, I've spoken to Kim as well, and I know that I've seen the 12-step guide, which if it's, if it's public, and I'll double check with Kim, I'll include a link to that in, in, in this, um, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and Definitely. We've 
Yeah, because I mean, these are all resources all included and linked to, to the 10 steps that Provoke provided. I mean, any- You should do a link to the, the individual's blog. I mean, the LinkedIn profile from that employee at Pan. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it definitely, it's, I didn't, again, I didn't even know he was doing it. And he encapsulates beautifully what this employer is doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I think at this point, any, any, the more resources, the better, right? I think everyone sort of is in this listening. Let's, let's kind of take it all in. And what I was so impressed with, Arthi, is this is an account executive in our integrated marketing department that was, no one asked him to write it. He just said, we are in a heavily white industry and my employer is taking action and I'm proud of it. What is your employer doing? Right. And, and he lists some of the things we're doing. And, and listen, I applaud it because that's the way they talk to each other, millennials. It, yeah. So the, the, his network will, it'll just keep growing. Yeah, they do. And, and, and they amplify on social in a way that I think previous generations didn't. Um, and then I think if we talk about Gen Z, I mean, that's a whole, I mean, you know, there's, there's a whole other level of um, expectation around action there. Um, yeah. Well, I know. I, so I, much more we can talk so about, right? But. Talk about. Well, Phil, you know, uh, you know, chatting with you, obviously, I, I enjoy that very much. So we'll definitely sure. have you back on. Um, this has been another episode of the Provoke Media Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Phil, Phil Nardoni of Pan Communications. And thank you to our production team, Marketeers. And we will be back soon with another episode. Thanks, Arthur. See you later. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.